because everyone can hear us. We're waking up the neighbors. They were already woken up at 9 a.m., so we're getting the groove going this summer, um, but it doesn't feel like summer. It actually feels like winter is still holding on for dear life this morning. Um, good morning, everyone. My name's Cody. I'm our middle school director here. Before we dive in, I want you guys to get to know me a little bit because you, some of you might not know me. So uh, before we get started, I am a Syracuse native. How many Syracuse natives do we have in the crowd? They're just raising their hands. They're, they're a quiet bunch, but we're small in numbers, but I promise we're powerful. And uh, what brought me to Rochester was normally I would say college, but it was actually football. Um, this is to all of those athletes out there. You say that you're going to college to get a good degree, but I just went because I wanted to play football. And the degree was just kind of like a side good thing. Um, but college was actually a really good time for me because I met my wife there, the best blessing of my life. Uh, her name's Kari. We just got back from vacation uh, out west in Yellowstone and in the Tetons. We love to be outside and hike. Uh, here's us among the mountains. And you can see this little foot. That's our daughter. That's not just somebody we picked up on the side of the trail. <laughs> the, when they say carry in, carry out, they mean literally. So we just saw her and we're like, okay. Um, no, but we were out west. We had a really great time. We decided who needs a beach when you can hike 21 miles in three days. So that was our vacation. But when we were hiking, we also had a great opportunity to find some really awesome ice cream stations. And so we found one out in West Yellowstone. And this is our daughter eating her ice cream. As you can see, she absolutely loves it. And just like our family, you might not... We might not look like it, but we love to eat food. Uh, a lot of people exercise to stay in shape. I exercise to support my eating habits. <laughs> and so uh, while we were there, we love ice cream, but actually a couple of weeks before we left, we had a family health scare. And Friday, you might have heard, we did this event called Double Dog Dare, uh, where the middle school students were inviting their friends for an outreach. And the Friday before, I was figuring all that stuff out, we had a health emergency. My wife woke up, she had to go to work that day. She woke up and just like rolled over in stomach pain. And she had been having pain for a couple months now. So I was like, oh, like this isn't that serious. I'll still go about my routine. I'll turn on the news, troll on Instagram a little bit. But she was like rolled over in pain. And my wife, it takes a lot for us to call the doctor. And it got to a point where she was like, Cody, we need to call now. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I, I wasn't planned for this. And so we called the doctor. Our toddler was just starting to wake up, Leah. And we called the doctor, and the doctor says, you need to get to the emergency room now. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this is going well. This is really going well. And so I grab our toddler. We were getting ready to head out. I was getting ready to go to work. My wife, Kari, was getting ready to go to work. We all pile in the car. I'm frantically holding on to the steering wheel, be like, Jesus, please let everything be okay. Please let everything be okay. Our daughter's in the back seat reading her Dora books, kicking my wife's seat in front of me, who's rolled over in pain and saying, Cody, just drive safe, but drive as fast as you can because this really hurts. So I did drive safely, but I tried to make it as fast as possible to the hospital. When we get there, I did what every loving husband would do opened the passenger drawer, let my wife out on the curb, and I drove away. <laughs> and now there's a reason, there's a reason. 
I had our toddler in the car. I had to drive to our in-law's house to drop off the toddler to be back because who really wants a toddler in the emergency room? And so as I'm driving to our in-law's house, I'm just white-knuckling the steering wheel, but just praying to Jesus. I'm like, I have no power over this situation. God, only you who created the wind and the waves and the mountains and who created me and breathed life into me have power over this situation. I don't know what the doctors know. I don't know what the nurses know. I have no idea what's going on. And right now, I'm just in a car driving frantically, but safely, to my in-law's house to drop off my toddler. And I just felt so powerless in that moment. I had no control, no power. No, I, no matter what I did, it had no weight or bearing on what Kari was feeling in the hospital. So I drop off Leah, and I'm on my way back to the hospital. And it's just a terrible sight to see the person you love most in the world hooked up to IVs, passed out on the bed. And I did what every loving husband would do. I slowly sneaked the remote out from under her arm. <laughs> I turned on ESPN, and I sat there and played Candy Crush while she slept in her hospital bed. And as she was sleeping there, we had a bunch of tests, and you know everything was going on. And I, again, feel completely powerless, have no control over the situation. No matter, you know, what the images are going at, like, she had this ultrasound of her stomach, and I'm like, oh, that looks like, no, I have no idea. That, okay, I'll trust you. And I still feel powerless and powerless, and I have no control over what's happening. And uh, hours go by, a couple images go by, and the doctor comes in and is like, so we have concluded that the images have come back negative, which was a great sign, but I'm like, really? Like, we, we are here for a, a nothing answer. And they're like, we just think you have a stomach virus. And I'm like, thank you. That was very helpful. Um, and doctors do know a lot, but it was just a very powerless situation because we had no control. I wanted an answer. I wanted something to come out of the situation. I wanted to know and feel and have control over the situation, but I, I couldn't. And finally, I'm just like, Kari, you know what? You've been having this stomach pain for a while. You're already lactose intolerant. Maybe it's gluten. You know, this whole gluten fad of like, oh, we're all gluten-free. Um, but we tried it, and while, we, you know, a week before we went on vacation, of course. And we tried it, and she felt a lot better. But over the whole situation, we were just powerless to the unexpected. We had no idea what was coming around a bend. No matter how much, you know, we knew about her body or knew, like the doctors knew about the situation or the blood work or the imaging, we, we were powerless in the situation. And what I love about this book, the Bible, is it's chock full of stories of people that just feel completely and utterly powerless, but rely on God and rely on Jesus to get them through situations. And this morning, we're going to open up to the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible or you have your phone, go ahead and turn there this morning. And what I love about the book of Ephesians is it's a people group in the city called Ephesus. And Ephesus was basically a city port in Asia. It was like the Boston or New York City of Asia. Everyone wanted to be there. It was the hubbub. A lot of cool things happened there. But it was a Gentile city. It wasn't Jewish. So the Christians there were kind of second-rate citizens. They didn't fit in truly. Like there was, there was the Christians and then there was, you know, the Ephesians. They were like, oh yeah, you know, we'll kind of accept you, but not really. And Paul, this follower of Jesus, started the church, loved these people. He was there for three years, but then what happened was he was like, all right, deuce people, you know, you guys are doing well. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to Rome. And then he's in prison. 
So their fearless leader is in prison. They're regarded as second-rate citizens. Their culture is banging up against them saying, no, come on, come play with us. You know, we know the right way. Um, just do what we do. But they were trying to follow Jesus. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul felt the need to send them an encouraging note and, I believe, send us an encouraging note today as well. So in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, this is what it says. For this reason, Paul is talking here, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and deep, high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So the, to just kick off, the Ephesians completely felt powerless, right? They were powerless to their culture because they didn't fit the standards that the Jewish people had set forth. They felt powerless because their fearless leader was now gone. He was in prison and they had nobody to lead them. And what I want to talk about this morning is that we so often feel powerless against our culture's standards. And what I mean by that is our culture sets a standard that you need to be perfect. You need to be a perfect husband. You need to be a perfect father. You need to have the perfect body. You need to follow the perfect diet. You need to be the perfect student. You need to be the perfect athlete. You need to be perfect. And we follow these standards and these measures, and we try to reach for them and achieve them and say, no, I'm going to go for it. People are looking at me. I need to have this illusion, this, you know, this blanket statement. When people look through the window in my life, they need to see that I'm perfect, that I'm following the standard that our culture is set for. You know, Instagram, Facebook, it's always the, the perfect agenda of people's lives. You never see what's broken or crooked or evil about what's going on with people. You always see the highlight reels. And that's what we've come to believe is the standard. Where I feel the standard the most is when I'm a husband and a father. I feel like I need to be the perfect husband to my wife. I feel like I need to be the perfect father to my daughter. And just like the Ephesians, I didn't have a fearless leader growing up. I didn't have a dad. I had my mom and that was it. My mom was both for me. My mom was the dad and the mom. She had to fit both roles. I had grandparents and I'm grateful that my grandfather poured into my life too. But ultimately, I didn't have a fearless leader to show me what it was like to love my wife and to love my daughter. And so often I get caught up in the cultural idea that if you love your wife out of your own love, it's good enough. But how many times have you fallen or we have fallen short and said, I'm giving so much of myself, but I still am not reaching that goal. No matter how hard we climb up that hill, no matter how much we reach for the standard, it's never enough. We can never reach perfection because perfection isn't obtainable. If you've ever heard the gospel before, you'd come to understand that we're broken and we can't reach God's perfection. No matter how many good deeds we do, no matter how perfect we look, the clothes we wear, the language we speak, you can never hit perfection. 
And just like Paul's trying to tell the Ephesians, he's like, guys, just, just stop. That's not the standard you should be reaching for. And the thing we should know, this was a church. They felt the standards, not just in their culture, but in the church. I grew up in the church. And growing up in the church, I felt standards every day that I went. Don't wear this. Don't speak this way. Your, your hair has to be this way. You know, you have to sit quietly. You have to fold your hands. You have to pray this certain way. You have to read your Bible every day. You have to, there's so many standards when we step into a church and say, this is what a Christian looks like. But that's not what Jesus says. The power of Jesus broke every standard. That's what Paul's trying to get at us. There's no more standards. Perfection is not even relevant anymore. So why do we keep putting it on a pedestal and saying, oh, it's perfection I'm after? Why don't we take perfection off and put Jesus where he belongs and says, no, it's Jesus I'm after? It's not just our culture that we're up against. Sometimes it's our church. And Paul, what I love about Paul is he says the exact thing that we all think, but we never truly believe. We have the power of Christ living inside of us, a roaring lion ready to go to battle for us, but we just sit back and timidly wait, thinking that we can do it on our own while Jesus is resting inside of us. His power is at work, ready to go to battle for us, but we don't firmly believe it. This morning, the truth that Paul's trying to communicate and the truth I want to communicate to all of us this morning is that we have the power to stand confidently through Christ. No longer should we have a spirit of timidity. No longer should we wait and sit in the shadows. No longer should we battle for the standards and keep trying to climb the hill. We have a spirit, a roaring lion inside of us, ready to go to battle. The all-powerful God is behind us saying, no, stand up, be confident. I created you for who you should be, not for what you should be fighting for. You have a personality, you have a purpose, you have a passion. Run after that because that's who God and Jesus created us to be, not trying to fit into a mold that our culture says we need to be. God has created us for a purpose, and that is the power of Christ within us. I want to just read this again to focus our eyes and our minds on the idea that we have the power, the all-powerful God, the God that created the heavens and the earth, the God that formed the mountains and the sea with his hands, the God that took dust, molded it, created humans, and breathed life into us is the same God that lives inside of us and gives us power through a relationship with Jesus. Paul says this, I pray that out of God, his, Jesus, glorious his riches, he may strengthen you and us with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people, Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how deep, how high is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. All we need to do is flip back a little further to the left in our Bible to look at the Gospels and realize what Jesus is truly and what Paul is truly talking about when he means power. It's not a standard that the Pharisees followed. It's not a certain way we need to pray. It's not a certain way we need to dress. It's the power of following Jesus. 
Jesus is the power that Paul is pointing to. He's not pointing to a systematic way. He's not pointing to rules. He's pointing back to Jesus. It's not a name. It's not a location. It's not Browncroft. It's not a tent. It's not our sanctuary. It's Jesus that Paul's pointing back to that gives us power. And that power that Paul is talking about gives us the strength to stand up confidently, to love the lonely, to protect the weak, to give voice to the voiceless, to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves, to give generously. What would it look like is if we as a church walked out of this tent and said, I'm no longer following a standard, I'm following Jesus. Because I want the power of Jesus, I don't want the power of me to show, I want the power of Jesus to show, because that's what life change is about. You know, we're all about inviting people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And I don't want us to miss the point that Jesus, the all-powerful God, is the only one, the only thing that can give life change. Nothing else has the power to change lives. That's how powerful God is. Wouldn't it be amazing if no longer we had standards of gender or what we wore, or the colors of our skin or, you know, different attitudes and familiarities, but those standards were broken and Jesus came into the picture and said, no longer do you fight for perfection, you fight for me. Paul's trying to give us this idea and tell us that it's about the love of Christ that's within us, that's at work within us, that we need to show people that that is the power, that is, that is the essence of how powerful God is. Because through experience in the life change of God, we get to experience the life change of Jesus, too. And when I was on vacation, this is kind of a little antidote to go along with everything I've been saying. We were on a plane, and um, if you ever have been on a plane and brought a toddler, it's a very stressful situation. And when we were on the plane, I was battling against this, this idea of being a perfect father, being a perfect husband. And while we were on the plane, my daughter Leah was getting a little tired, and um, my wife was like, oh, let's just order her a juice. She would love juice. And the whole time in my heart, I'm like, she's going to spill it. I'm going to get angry. It's going to be frustrating, and everyone's going to look at us because we're going to have a crying baby, and I'm just not going to know what to do. So my wife, without me speaking up, ordered the juice. It wasn't her fault. It was actually my fault because I should have said, hey, we probably shouldn't order the juice, bad idea. And so we ordered the juice, and Leah decides to drink a little bit and keeps drinking it. And then she goes to set it down. I'm like, she's going to spill it. I know she's going to spill it. As soon as she sets it down, it's going to go everywhere. And of course, sets it down, goes everywhere. It goes on her leg, goes on her backpack, goes on the floor. And I'm like, no, please stop, please stop. And when it goes into her sock, she starts crying. I can't make it stop because her sock is soaking wet and she's crying. And then everyone on the plane who, I, they probably had kids before, just turns around and is like, sir, can you please keep your child quiet? Like, it has to be a perfect museum setting. And I'm like, dude, listen, I'm trying. It's nine o'clock. It's bedtime. It's all calm down. But I was fighting against this standard that we need to be perfect. That we need to have this, this perfection that we're afraid of people to look at us because we're different. We're afraid because if we break through the veil of perfection that somebody might actually notice something different about us. And of course, 
me not being perfect got angry. I got angry at my two-year-old because she spilled juice, which is completely irrational. And then I got angry at my wife because she ordered the juice. Again, completely irrational. And then I sat there and I'm like, God, this is not, this is not right. This isn't okay. And while I was preparing my message, I was like, this is the epitome of how we all feel. Because we are so ingrained to go after perfection, run after the perfection, be the perfect dad, be the perfect mom, be the perfect husband, wife, friend, whatever you are battling to be perfect with. This is what I want to ask us all this morning. Lay down the standard. It doesn't mean that it goes away. I'm just saying, lay it down. When we truly understand that God is all-powerful, we live a life of surrender and understanding. It's no longer about climbing the hill and getting to perfection. It's about turning away from the hill of perfection and just following Jesus. When we truly understand how powerful God is and realize that life change doesn't come from running after the perfection, it comes from following Jesus, that's when life change happens. So I'm going to pray as the worship band comes up, and then I'll have one more point for us um, before we get to worship together again. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that, God, you created the mountains and the seas and the rivers, and you created us, and that wherever we look, we get to see your powerful, majestic work happening all around us. But Jesus, you have the power not just to create things, but to change things. And Jesus, your ultimate miracle of power is to change lives. Lord, and I ask this morning for everyone in this room, and even for myself, that you would change my heart and change my life so that I can follow you. No longer battling for the standard of perfection, but Jesus, follow you in a way of surrender. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I do this every week with our middle school students. After I talk, I leave us with one final point. And as we worship, feel free to stand or sit, but I want us to walk away with this one thought and this one idea. What would it look like if we as a church walked out of here and stood confidently in our relationship with Jesus and said, no longer am I battling for the standard of perfection? What would it look like if we go to work tomorrow morning and we know that a coworker, based on their gender or skin color, gets treated a little bit differently, but we stood up for them instead of sat in our cubicle quietly and let it happen? What would it look like if we went to the supermarket and we see a single mom battling with her kids and can't pay for her groceries, goes for the food stamps, and we say, no, I'm going to stand confidently in Christ and give generously and step in because I want to show her Jesus, not show her me. What would happen if instead of battling this idea of perfection of being the perfect mom and perfect dad, we just put it down and spent time with our kids and said, I'm just going to be me with my kids. What happens if we stand confidently through our relationship with Christ and no longer battle what other people say a husband and wife should be, but genuinely sit down across from our spouse and say, who do you need me to be for you? Not listen to what other people have to say, but be who God created us to be for that purpose because it's about the love of Christ at work within us, not with the culture or what anyone else says. Remember, what would it look like if we stood up confidently with Jesus and said, I'm going to live out of his power, not my own power. Let us worship together.